Untold Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Have a busy show for you tonight. Uh, coming up a little bit later, uh, in the second hour, in fact, our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, will weigh in with our monthly paranormal news roundup, and we have some great stories, including a crying boy painting in the UK blamed for uh, a number of house fires. Uh, is the painting cursed? We'll find out. And then uh, the big Millions Against Monsanto march is happening uh, May 20th. We'll speak to the co-founder, co-manager on that one. Uh, his name is uh, James Connor. And um, uh, I'm not sure where you weigh in on the whole GMO issue, but you'll want to catch that discussion. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, James Connor, both coming up in the second hour. Uh, we are about to delve into quite a remarkable discussion. I had Len Caston, UFO researcher, freelance writer, on with me uh, on Coast to Coast. We did three hours about a month back. Uh, we're not going to have three hours, unfortunately, uh, to talk about the reptilians with Len, so we'll get somewhat of a, a more truncated version. But looking forward to this conversation immensely, he is going to reveal the reptilian empire's influence on Earth and their conquest of 21 other star systems over the millennia. He is a, uh, as I say, a UFO researcher, freelance writer, former member of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, and the Mutual UFO Network, a feature writer with more than 50 published articles in Atlanta's Rising and New Dawn Magazine, and uh, the author of The Secret History of Extraterrestrials and Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, his latest is entitled Alien World Order, the reptilian plan to divide and conquer the human race. Len Caston, climb aboard. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, Richard. Nice to be with you. The idea, this to me is disturbing to say the least, the idea that the reptilians, this rather aggressive to say the least race of uh, extraterrestrials, they're not out there. They're underfoot, and they have been for quite some time. Talk to me about where these reptilians come from, how long they've been here, and how they got here. They've been here approximately 900,000 years, long time. They were here long before we were here. That's why they consider this to be their planet. However, things have changed because of their attitude towards the human race and what they've done elsewhere in the galaxy to kill uh, humans. So it's really a knockdown, drag out, stalemate at this point between the human race and the reptilian race because they are still here and they're not planning on going anywhere. They originally are from the star system Draco, which I think most people know that by now. That's their home world, but they've traveled all over the galaxy because they've had spacefaring technology for many, many, many thousands of years. So that's how they got here. And as the name implies, uh, they they resemble reptilians. Describe them. What, what do they look like? How big are they? Uh, what sort of unique features do they have? Well, they do tend to have a greenish scaly skin. They do look somewhat like a crocodilian face, but then those features have gotten softened over the many thousands of years, and they don't look quite as repulsive as uh, they would have otherwise. They don't look like crocodiles anymore. Actually, uh, they say the females are actually quite attractive. They tend to be taller. They're probably about eight feet taller. The Draco are approximately eight feet in height for the most part. The original Draco, 
subrace does have wings. They do have wings that they fold behind them. They are really the most senior of all of the reptilians. Then there are also reptilian uh, crossbreeds that we call the greys. And we've been dealing with the greys for a long time, ever since Eisenhower had that famous meeting with them in 1954, in which he opened the door, not really realizing what he was doing. That was in February of 1954. And uh, so that was giving them more or less an opening into abductions. And they have been abducting tremendous numbers of people all over the world ever since. And give us a sense of their their underground civilization here on Earth, which you say uh, began almost a million years ago. It's a very extensive, uh, it's very extensive uh, facility. They have uh, they have basically have a, a an empire down there. Uh, it's mainly under the Indian subcontinent, between uh, Benares in India and uh, Tibet. They the Indian surface people on the surface refer to them as the Nagas or the Snake People because they're known to be there. And of course, they have tremendous technology, which they've had for a long time. And I covered all that in the early part of my book, uh, where they come from and how they develop their technology. And so they have high-speed trains uh, operating at supersonic speeds. They can cross the globe, all over the globe, in a very short time, even faster than jet planes. And uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, subsurface world is, is, is like a grid of their uh, tunnels. And uh, some of the some of the uh, un- some of the MyLab facilities that our military has been involved with does connect up with their subsurface world at various points. That was the case with uh, with the colony, the Nazi colony in Ar- Antarctica. The reason that the it was that Hitler wanted it there at that particular location was because it tied into their their underworld empire there. Under the North Pole, under the South Pole, so there there are connections there all over, and uh, it's, just, it's it's staggering, really, what's going on down there. You you mentioned uh, the um, the reptilians being referred to as the Snake People. Uh, I believe there are other legends that refer to the Serpent People. We have examples, and you have pictures in your book. Uh, the you know the serpent prominently displayed on. Uh, on the uh, the death mask of um, of Tutankhamun, we right. have the the um, the Anunnaki uh, Zechariah Sitchin uh, describing the Anunnaki as uh, the uh, as appearing to be reptilian. We have the snake in the Garden of Eden. Uh, is there a connection here with all of these legends? Absolutely. And you didn't you didn't mention the the snakes that are on the Caduceus that the AMA uses for its insignia. Right. Right. That's that's not an accident either. <laughs> But the the the, uh, the snake on the on the, the the pharaoh's crown is really the most outstanding. That all the pharaohs, I think, from the 18th dynasty onward, all had that snake on the crown, with it poised as if to strike. Uh, that really links them very very obviously with the what we now call the Brotherhood of the Snake. And uh, I think the, probably the best writer on that subject is somebody named Xavier Hayes. And I quote him extensively in my book because he's done the most research on that book. Yeah, he's good. He's um, been on the program a couple of times. Yeah, oh, has he really? Okay, great. Yeah, he's terrific. He's terrific. 
And he wrote a, he wrote a an endorsement of my book too. It's in my book. So you know that's what's been going on. And uh, as the human race grows in spirituality, see they they have put an effective blanket over us to keep us from really uh, ex- exploiting our full DNA potential, which is tremendous. And we can really reach into if, if our DNA was really expanded to to its proper dimensions. We could reach into the fifth dimension, and then it, then it would no longer be any kind of a contest. Well, you you, have, you write that they are they have trouble existing uh, in in the third dimension here. Right. Yeah, so exactly. so how, how does that work exactly? That does that mean that they would be invisible to the eye to most of us uh, at at certain points, or why do they have first of all trouble staying in the third dimension, and and what does that mean exactly? Well, because it takes a lot of energy for them to manifest a three-dimensional body. They are fourth-dimensional creatures for the most part. So I think you're, you're probably aware of the fact that typically that the fourth dimension is really known as a, the dimension of the, of the deceased. That's the place where people go when they die. But the lower portion of that realm, which, we now, which many call the lower astral, is where they is where they basically dwell, and but they can manifest in the third dimension whenever they want to. But it takes a lot of energy, and that's why basically one of the reasons why they drink human blood, because it, it helps them to, to to manifest in the third in the third dimension, and uh, so they were able to do that. They need the human life force. That's why they you re, they're referred to as the vampires of Draco. They they drink human blood. They consume human flesh. Uh, and uh, and particularly, this is kind of grisly and disturbing to say the least. But they they seem to have a um, a predilection for 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 children, consuming children. Why for children? children? Because their bodies are unpolluted, whereas adults have been eating the wrong foods for many many years, and a lot of pollutants in their bodies, a lot of heavy metals, and so forth. <laughs> they want a pure. They want more of a purity of of flesh that they're eating. But you know Alex Collier, who is uh, have you have you talked to Alex Collier on your program? I've not, but I know that I guess since the age of fourteen, he he's uh, been in telepathic communication with the uh, the Palladians, is he not? No, the Andromedans. The Andromedans. My apologies. Yeah, and uh, he is also another one who's in t- touch with the Andromedans is Tolek. Do you know anything about Tolek at all? T O L E C. Not so much. No, but yeah, he'd be a good he'd be a good one to get on your show. Uh, in any case, Collier said that. The original confrontation, the very first confrontation between the reptilians and the humans, happened millions of years ago in the constellation of Lyra. Uh, apparently, uh, I've taken a lot of my material from Stuart Swerdlow's writings. Right. Great remote viewer. Have, yes. Have you had him on? I've not had Stuart. We've tried. I'll have to try again. Swerdlow knows his latest book is The Human Humanity Saga. And he goes over a lot of this. Uh, he, he, he had personal experiences with, with the reptilians at Montauk when he was young. So he, he had firsthand experience. He knows what, how they operate and what they do. And um, he uh, is aware of the fact that they uh, have been abducting. The reason for the abductions really is to get humans to literally to eat. And that's why they abduct many children and take them down there. 
it's a really a grisly game that they're playing here with us, and but it's kept well, it's kept it's kept very well covered up here by their by the Illuminati. The Illuminati keep an effective uh, blanket over all of these activities. But child trafficking, child trafficking is one of the worst, most abysmal uh, things going on on this planet, and it's going on in large numbers. And they protect each other. The traffickers protect each other, but they have not stopped doing it. Len Kasten is with us. Uh, his uh, new book is titled Alien World Order, The Reptilian Plan to Divide and Conquer the Human Race. We're heading into a break here very shortly. Uh, but it sounds like that uh, the seven billion souls that reside on the surface, uh, essentially we are cattle. We are a herd of cattle. Um, a, a virtual buffet for these reptoid, reptilian uh, denizens uh, of the inner earth. Is that about it, Len? That's a pretty bleak yeah, picture. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's pretty much exactly what H.G. Wells wrote about in The Time Machine. All right, we'll get back to that. We'll take a time out. Syndrome. We'll come back. We'll talk about H.G. Wells. Len Kasten stays with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Len Kasten, author of Alien World Order, The Reptilian Plan to Divide and Conquer the Human Race. Just before the break, you mentioned H.G. Wells, and you liken him to a, almost a prophet right out of the gate in the book. And um, the story of the time machine is a character that goes back in time, and on the, uh, the surface of the Earth are these sort of... this very simple agrarian society, and then underneath are the the uh, the Morlocks. Yeah, but it's not back in time, it's forward. Forward in time, my apologies, forward in time. Uh, so the, the Morlocks, and at first the character assumes that the, the, the surface dwellers are sort of the higher up on the rung, the so- social rung, and these poor Morlocks are left under the ground sort of as slaves, but in fact it's the other way around. So Take it from there and then explain how H.G. Wells may have been predicting um, the situation we now find ourselves in with the reptilians. Exactly. I mean, it was a kind of a strange story for him to write, really. He wrote it at a, while he was still in college uh, as, a, as a thesis, really, and uh, then it became a, a novel. Basically, he, the book takes the position that the Morlocks are like an ape-like creature, creatures that live underground, and they keep the surface world operating, really. On the surface, we have all these young, beautiful people living in a beautiful paradise. And uh, on first glance, it appears that uh, they are keeping the Morlocks working for them, when in reality, it's the opposite. The Morlocks allow them to, to graze up above and get healthy, and then they bring them down in patch con- batch consignments and and feast on them because they're cannibals uh this was the story that he told in the time machine and this was what the time what the time traveler encountered in his journey to the future and according to the book it was something like eight hundred thousand years uh in the future of the 1940s when when uh wells wrote that book so it's kind of a strange story and yet yet uh different two hollywood movies a lot of spin-offs from that story it never goes away, really. So you have to ask, well, why is this? Why is this story even being considered something of interest to anybody? Because 
we would believe that already we are traveling to the stars. We will be soon, and we're, we will soon be godlike creatures able to tra- traverse the galaxy. How are we going to revert back to these senseless little people living on the surface and acting as food for, this, for the apes underground? Well, you know, all of a sudden it's not like it's, not, it's starting to look like it may not be such a bad prediction after all, because that's exactly what's happening right now. Do you already. think? Do you think that H.G. Wells was trying to? Um, to uh, to send a message uh, to people that this was going on. He couldn't come out and say that there are reptilians living, uh, you know, underneath our feet. Uh, so he sort of disguised the story somewhat, uh, and he was trying to tell the world we are we are a, a buffet for the reptilians. Well, it might have been that, except if you read the dialogue in the book, uh, he really was was not very. He was not very fond of capitalism. He himself was a socialist. In fact, he was more or less a communist, and he met with, uh, he met with Stalin. He actually met with Stalin and with uh, some of the leaders of the, of the uh, Russian Revolution. He, he, uh, he, he believed that capitalism was going to die and die out, and eventually we would revert back to artic- inarticulate little creatures, such as he described. Uh, I don't think it was trying to send any other message other than to point out, uh, I have a quote in there about what he said about the fact that it's all going to, it's all going to, it's all going to fall apart ultimately because capitalism is doomed to failure. So, uh, he, he was sort of a cynic about all those things. So he, it may have just been a metaphor for the excesses of capitalism. On the other hand, it is, uh, strikingly, uh, eerily familiar to what may be going on right now with the reptilians feasting on on humans. Yeah, uh, because yes, exactly. Because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that new book, 411, about the missing missing people. Uh, David Polites, uh, the David Missing Four One series of books. Yes, all these well, people yeah, that disappear so you, in national parks, never to be seen. Exactly, from. exactly, and in large numbers, and they never they never they never they never found. And the park rangers are not very helpful to Polites in getting information. So something strange is going on, and. Uh, it's uh, Alex Collier believes they're just being taken down there and being consumed. How many reptilians? Do we have a handle on how many there may be down there? Well, look, they have they have access to the to the surface world, and they have spaceships, and they can they can travel back and forth to other star systems. So, uh, at the time that Collier spoke about this, he said their numbers were around two thousand, but really they have other. There have been other uh, trips that they have made back and forth to other star systems, especially Draco, and I think their numbers are much larger than that. But you see, it's not only the Draco, it's not only the, the reptilians, it's also the greys, because the greys are here in much, much larger numbers, and they are the ones that are doing all the abducting, abducting and uh, creating the hybrid race. And this is, this is the greatest danger to to our civilization is are the hybrids. Off the coast of uh, Los Angeles, um, I, I was talking with um, somebody on coast a couple of weeks ago. It was the anniversary of the Battle of Los Angeles. And um, it turns out that uh, just off the coast of, uh, of L.A., uh, a lot of activity, people have seen uh, craft uh, descending into the water and coming out of the water. Uh, 
is is that how the reptilians are accessing their underground uh, their tunnels and so forth? There are underground there are underground colonies, absolutely. I mean, underwater colonies, yes. Uh, actually, they've just discovered one near off of Malibu that looks like a very modern building, and uh, I just saw a photo of it. It looked like it looked like a, some sort of a, a a a factory of some sort. So you know, what, uh, the first thing that has to be realized is that uh, before Atlantis sunk, <clears throat> a lot of the Atlanteans did escape to underwater colonies. Uh, so uh, there are many colonies down there which which, which are inhabited by Atlanteans, and though and those they are human. But also there was a reptilian colony. In the uh, discovered in the uh, sea of uh, let's see, in let's see, I'm not sure exactly where, but it was in near near uh, Saudi Arabia, off the coast there in the Black Sea, not in the Black Sea, the Red Sea. So you know, there's both. There's both down there. Uh, Admiral Bur- Admiral Byrd, uh, who flew. Um, over the Antarctic, and according to his log, and it is disputed as to whether these are actually his words or not, but he supposedly, this is in the 1940s, I think, or the 1930s, was flying over the Antarctic, and uh, all of a sudden this barren wasteland gave gave way to this verdant, um, almost not tropical, but this beautiful green paradise, uh, which he flew into. Had Admiral Byrd discovered an entranceway? Uh, was he dealing with reptoids, or reptilians rather, or was this another underground civilization? Well, you're talking about his diary? That yes. Was written up in his diary? Yes. Yes. Now, you know, was this discovery made during Operation High Jump, do you remember? Or after or before that High Jump? You know about High Jump, I assume, right? Uh, the high jump would be the uh, is that the, um, the 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 um, the Nazi base in the in the Antarctic? Yeah, we right. sent we sent a fleet of ships down there right. in 1947 to dis- to destroy the Nazi base. Fourteen ships, including an aircraft carrier, under the leadership of Admiral Byrd. Uh, actually, with Admiral Cruzen, Byrd was with him as, as well. And uh, their 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 mission was to basically destroy the Nazi colony under Antarctica, and they came at it from three directions. However, uh, they were repelled by flying saucers that came out of the water and uh, destroyed one or two ships and killed about I think it was something like sixty eight Marines. And so, Bird had to go leave. He had to retreat. And he went back to uh, to uh, to his flagship, and uh, he gave he actually gave a report to Congress about it. And he, he what he recommended was turning Antarctica into a nuclear test test range. That's how strongly he felt about what was going on down there. But I think that the story you're talking about, the one which he found himself uh, in, a, uh, in a in like a paradise uh, of mild weather and beautiful scenery. That he reported in his diary, I, I don't, I'm not sure that was the Antarctic expedition. It certainly didn't happen during high jump. Uh, we, there was, well, there was his his in 1926. There was the North Pole flight, 
Yeah, I think that's when that happened. Was during the North Pole flight. Ah, okay. Uh, there uh, were later. There were. Uh, there was later Antarctic expeditions. Uh, and actually, I'm hearing. I'm seeing it here. <clears throat> yes, he mentions Operation High Jump in 1946-47. Right. And that that was a military that was a military operation uh, that was basically okayed by Truman and uh, the hierarchy of the naval uh, the navy. And the plan was to to at that point to destroy the what was left of the Third Reich, which was now under Antarctica. And of course, they had a large colony in Argentina as well. So since the new leader of the Third Reich was was Admiral Donitz, Donitz, uh, Hitler had turned over the reins of control to Donitz. He, he was in charge of the submarine fleet, so he could patrol the waters between uh, Patagonia and Antarctica and make sure that they could have shipping traffic back and forth. Yeah, I think it's important for people to realize that at the end of the Second World War in 1945, the German army surrendered, but the Third Reich never did. Uh, the Third so, Reich never did. So right. Hitler, as appointed vice chancellor, then became the new Fuhrer, uh, and they basically moved their base of operation from Berlin to uh, South America and Antarctica. Right. That's and that's it, the legend, any or the story. Yeah, and the book I quoted from in my in my book, uh, Grey Wolf, was I think the most. Uh, the most thorough discussion of that and how Hitler, how Hitler basically escaped from from Berlin in the final uh, days of the war, and Martin Bormann helped him uh, get to a submarine base in the Canary Islands, from which he traveled by submarine to uh, to Argentina. And uh, in nineteen in nineteen forty three, he had a he had a house built there because uh, Bormann was funneling. All kinds of gold and precious gems and tremendous amount of money into into the Argentine economy, and Juan Perón, who was also a Nazi, basically, uh, was taking care of it for them until they arrived. Uh, Len, we're heading into a uh, into a break here shortly, but um, the connection between Hitler and the reptilian race um, did the the reptilians use Hitler, and Hitler used the reptilians? Was there an exchange of technology? Tell me about that. Let's start at that now. Hitler, Hitler went into the dark side, you might call it, the dark side. Uh, he used to go to these seances where they chose to, where they tried to, uh, to bring up the uh, entities from the, from, the, from the astral realm. And that's when he, that's when he changed completely. And uh, that's when the reptilians and the Third Reich were, were connected. And Hitler then became, that's where he got all of, his, all of what the so-called wonder weapons that the Nazis had, the, uh, the jet planes and the flying saucers, uh, from their connection with the reptilians. The Nazi bell. The reptilians were backing the whole fascist movement worldwide. And, and Emperor Hirohito in Japan, likewise? Yes. Hirohito, Hitler, and Mussolini. All three. They were very easy to control from the, from the fourth dimension. And, uh, the fascist movement was an attempt to enslave the planet and then the reptilians would take over at that point. All right, Len, I've got to take another time out. We'll come back and continue our conversation on Alien World Order, the reptilian plan to divide and conquer the human race. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett.
You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Len Caston, UFO researcher, freelance writer, the author of Alien World Order, The Reptilian Plan to Divide and Conquer the Human Race. Uh, we were talking about, uh, well, these reptilians have this methodology of infiltration, and there's some hybridization going on as well. You mentioned earlier the infiltration uh, of the reptilians into the Third Reich, into Japan during the uh, Hirohito uh, reign, even Mussolini in Italy, that these tyrants uh, were being controlled, you say, in the fourth dimension by the reptilians. So this infiltration has been going on a long time. How does the hybridization aspect of this plan work? When they're not eating us, they're mating with us, breeding with us? Yes, creation of the hybrid race was really what the abductions are all about. And I think by now most people know that there have been millions and millions of abductions, which everybody thinks are coming from UFOs. They're really coming from underneath. The greys who work for the reptilians are doing all the abducting. And the creation of the hybrid race is their highest priority. And they've created millions and millions of hybrids at this point. And the thing to understand about the hybrids who are part gray and part reptilian and part human is that they are not really human. Their souls are not really human. In other words, a human soul cannot really be accommodated by a hybrid body. So basically, they're aliens. And when their numbers reach a certain point, perhaps even as little as 30% of the population, uh, alongside of other programs that they're working on in terms of depopulation, and slaughtering as many humans as they can, they will essentially uh, take over the planet. And why do they need to utilize hybridization, create these hybrids, when they could simply come up to the surface? I mean, these are savage warriors. They could just simply invade the surface and take over that way. Why do they need to do it by stealth this way? Well, that's typically how they've always operated. That's what they did on Atlantis, exactly the same thing. They weakened the the Atlantean civilization from within, through hybridization, and then when all of a sudden, when they, at a critical point, they came up and they came up and uh, took over and basically sank the continent. And uh, they want they want to be uh, they want this hybrid because that will make it easier for them to exist in the third dimension. Is that why? Well, the hybrids are basically aliens. They're, they're, they have both human and DNA as well as alien DNA, but because they have alien DNA, they have paranormal capabilities. So they're really superior to humans in that way, but uh, they don't have a heart chakra. They don't have the emotional component that we do because humans really are fifth dimensional. We can, cre- we can reach into the fifth dimension. They're limited to the third and lower fourth dimensions. But basically, they, when they reach the point where they have the power, they'll enslave, they'll enslave what's left of the human race. I want to talk about the, uh, circle back to the abduction phenomena, and uh, this was a, a deal that was struck uh, supposedly in 1954 when uh, President Eisenhower was spirited away under the... Uh, the um, the pretext that he had, a, I guess, a, a dental emergency or something. And, yeah. and the, according to the story, he ends up with Hol- at Holloman Air Force Base in in Florida. 
Uh, I, I, I believe the, the Bishop of Los Angeles was supposed to be in attendance as well, and some others, uh, representatives of the Vatican. And this meeting was, uh, with the aliens, representatives of the reptilians and the greys, and exactly what was discussed. Well, this is a so-called Treaty of Greata, G-R-E-A-D-A, in which, uh, they promised, uh, they, they promised Eisenhower advanced technology, especially anti-gravity, Technology, and all they wanted in return was the the right to abduct what they they initially said was just going to be a few humans. There wasn't going to be very many, and that they would report on how many they would abduct each period and even give their names. That was the agreement. Eisenhower didn't see a problem with it because the technology that they were offering was so fantastic. So he agreed, and that began the whole abduction scenario. The first one that we know about was the one in 1961 in New Hampshire, the Betty and Barney Hill, the famous Betty and Barney Hill abduction in 1961. And ever since then, it's been growing by leaps and bounds, and now millions and millions and millions of humans have been have been abducted. And the, the women the women have been... Uh, the DNA has been implanted, and the embryos are taken after the third month and brought back up into their spaceships and down below into my labs, and they take them the rest of the way and create a hybrid entity. And, uh, all right, we'll, uh, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll talk about how these hybrids are reintroduced into uh, human civilization uh, and what this all means for our future. Len Caston, Alien World Order, the reptilian plan to divide and conquer the human race. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back. Len Caston stays with us. And this is a really bleak scenario, I don't mind telling you. We seven billion plus souls on the surface of this planet are essentially a buffet uh, for the reptilians, this incredibly aggressive warrior race of uh, fourth dimensional aliens that have existed on this planet, that live under the surface of this planet for nearly a million years. Uh, and uh, you were mentioning before the break this treaty that was struck in 1954 at Holloman Air Force Base with President Eisenhower and representatives of the reptilians, an exchange of technology, or not an exchange, the, uh, the U.S. Uh, would receive advanced uh, technology, anti-gravitics and so forth, in exchange the greys, and the reptilians were given permission to abduct humans, and thus began the hybrid hybridization program. Uh, how are these alien-human hybrids, which are essentially aliens, as you, as you have pointed out, how are they reintroduced into human society? And are they are they walking amongst us now? Is it possible uh, that they are um, now in the um, in the in the corridors of power? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I'd like to recommend a TV series that came on the air about, I think it was about 10 years ago, produced by Spielberg called Taken. Yes. So you've seen that? Yes, I have. You know the story. You know the story that, that uh, the hybrid that was created by the alien and the human was taken off the planet because it didn't, it didn't have, it didn't appear human enough to get by. 
So that's what happens. That's what they have to decide after the hybrid is born, whether it would be comfortable in human society or if it would have to be removed to an underground base or to a spaceship. Uh, so only the ones that appear that can get by are left here to to continue to uh, live here and to get jobs here and to reproduce here. Uh, but basically, the best book on the subject by far is the one called Walking Among Us by David Jacobs. Yes. I would recommend that book highly because in that book he gives the entire uh, scenario as to how they train them what they do is, uh, in order to make the hybrids able to get by in human society, they have to they have to train them in, in very small ways about how to get by uh, their manners, uh, the simplest jobs, peeling an orange, using an ATM machine, all of these things they have to be trained to do. And how they train them is they abduct other humans, and they have the humans that they've abducted train the hybrids. And that's, that's how it works, and they've been doing this now all over the planet for uh, hundreds of years. How can you spot one, uh, one of these hybrids? Well, you know, they're not easy to spot because uh, the women are beautiful. Many of the women are beautiful and very attractive, and uh, they're, they're highly intelligent. But, but the, main, the main difference is that they have psychic powers beyond what we have. And that gives them a tremendous advantage in just about every endeavor. Uh, if it came down to uh, a company trying to decide whether to hire a hybrid or a human, they would probably choose the hybrid simply because the hybrids were more intuitive and more psychic. So uh, that's, that's what the humans are up against. And that's why it's a slow process, a slow takeover, because once it reaches a certain point, uh, the numbers reach a certain point and it doesn't have to be they don't have to be in the majority uh they basically can take over uh, uh do nation, they nation by nation and maybe and then the united then united nations do these hybrids still require human blood human flesh well the hybrids are living as humans and they are reproducing as humans so they're not they're not eating human beings they are more or less pseudo humans do they know? Do they know who they are? Are they aware? I think many of them do. I, you know, there's a lot on YouTube about this, and uh, but reading the book, reading the Jacobs book, I think is the best introduction to the subject because he covers it. He does hypnotic regressions. Yes. And every, all of his information comes from his personal case history. So he knows exactly what he's talking about. This isn't speculation. Uh, this is a professor emeritus at uh, Temple University. Exactly. He's retired now, yeah. Yes. Um, he's a great guy, by the way, and he, he, I've heard his lectures, and he's very, very, very good. Are these reptilian-human hybrids, are they betrayed by their aggressive nature? For example, I've done a number of shows uh, with people who talk about um, psychopaths in our midst, and these uh, the, the world seems to be um, sort of the, way, the rules of the world seem to be in the psychopath's favor, uh, and we find psychopaths in every every quarter. Uh, we they are they are they are bosses, they are surgeons, they are politicians, they might even be the head of the local parent teacher association. These are the people that that seem to rise to the top. Uh, and they are, they can be very charming, um, but they are 
they have no conscience. They are psychopaths. Uh, are, are the, are the reptilian, are we talking about reptilian human hybrids when we're talking about these psychopaths? You know, you use the term psychopath, really, I would call them sociopathic, really, more than psychopathic. The problem is they do not have a heart chakra, which we call, they just don't, they, do, they don't know how to love. So dealing with, with dealing with loveless people. And that make, that gives them an advantage because they're not, they're not tied down by the human, human problems that we all have with relation, with relationships. So, uh, it's not that they're psychotic, although I think that uh, the increase in drugs uh, along those lines has a lot to do with the fact that the hybrid population uh, is increasing. But, you know, they give themselves away because they do not have a conscience and because they're heartless, basically. They're very pragmatic and they're very psychic. So, you know, that's, that's exactly why they're able to take over. Would a simple blood test reveal if a person is a hybrid i've heard i've heard a lot of people speak about the fact that typically they tend to be rh negative now uh i've heard it from many different sources i don't know if it's true or not but uh there's been enough about it that i'm beginning to come to the conclusion that it just may be true o negative particularly is the uh the blood type that everyone's talking about yes that would be the only way i could think that they could be identified. Uh, and again, um, the idea from an evolutionary standpoint is the RH is this, is this marker in the blood. Uh, and the idea is if we, if we are descendants of, let's say, the, you know, the, like the rhesus monkey, we should all have that RH factor, that RH marker in our blood. But as you say, there is a small percentage of the human population that is RH negative. They don't have that marker. And then the question is, well, why not? Now, and then you, what you have to do also is put this together with the existence of the, of the Illuminati, because the Illuminati have the ability to, to know whether they're dealing with hybrids or with humans. And so they can always favor, because, because they're so powerful and so wealthy, and they control so many corporations, the banks, the media, they can put the hybrids in positions of authority because they recognize them. And so once again, the humans are sidelined and uh, start to become impoverished, really, living in poverty, whereas the hybrids are enriched because, they, because the Illuminati can do that. They, can, they, they control the banks. They run the banks, and they run the large corporations. They run Cargill, uh, for instance. They run um, Monsanto, companies like that. So these are the things that, that operate and that make it, hard for humans to compete, really, against the hybrids. Uh, Len, you speculate that uh, it's possible uh, that President Kennedy was assassinated by the CIA because he was on to this Nazi reptilian presence here on Earth. Talk to me more about that. That's strictly speculation on right. my part, because I, I do, I know, I'm positive that Kennedy was a good guy and was trying to do the right thing for for America and for the human race, and uh, he, that's why he was such a threat to them, uh, because he was gaining too much power, too much popularity, and uh, he was the one that gave the okay for the Serpo, for the Project Serpo exchange program when we sent 12 Americans 
to a distant star system. He was the one that gave the okay for that. So, uh, and of course, I think if you go back and look at some of the old videos, you'll see that he was the one who talked about the moon adventure. Yes. Uh, he, pushed, he pushed that because he said that was the new frontier. And you see, it was important that, that he do that because the, the reptilians are trying to keep us imprisoned here. They don't, want us, they don't want us traveling to the stars. As long as they keep us here under a blanket of uh, control, then that makes their ad- ultimate, ultimate victory much more possible. Once we start traveling to the stars, like on, as, in, as on Star Trek, everything will start to change, and it will be, become a whole new ballgame. And, of course, as the human race expands its consciousness, that's our best weapon. Once we reach a certain level of consciousness, they can't, they can no longer control us. This and we will no longer be subject to mind control, no longer subject to propaganda, which worked so well in Nazi Germany. Once we get above that and we see that from, we see where we are from a higher vantage point, then it, the game is over. The game is over. They can no longer, uh, control us. We are here on Earth not because we, according to this, this narrative, we we did not originate here on Earth. We are part of this human diaspora, uh, the human civilization or species uh, evolved uh, on other in other galaxies, and we sort of were chased across the galaxy by these marauding reptilians. Um, why why are our human ancestors or our human cousins, the Andromedans and and so forth, why are they not coming to our rescue? Well, they are in a lot of ways. They are, but they they we they know that we have to do it ourselves, and they're, they're doing everything they can to help us from the inner levels and from certain uh, teachers that they've sent our way, like for instance, what we call the Enlightenment that occurred in the 18th century, where they sent agents to really, uh, in terms of science, in terms of philosophy, uh, that was their doing. The Federation does what they can to help us, but. Ultimately, we have to do it ourselves. And once we've done it, then we become a then we become a very viable partner in the whole galactic operation. Uh, so they can't do it for us, but they can do what they can to help us. There is a, a legend that uh, I, I don't or a story. I don't know if it's apocryphal. No way of knowing really. But uh, that uh, President Jimmy Carter. When he was inaugurated, he asked to be briefed on uh, the ET UFO issue. Uh, and according to a witness who was in the, the Oval Office at the time, uh, said that after the briefing, Carter broke down and sobbed almost uncontrollably. Do you, and this is again a speculation, but is it possible that the, the reason that he was sobbing was that he was told how uh, seemingly intractable the situation is that we are being ruled over by the reptilians and this will be our last point before we say goodnight right and I think everyone knows that Jimmy Carter was a very devout Christian and the reptilians are very anti-Christian and really the advent the whole the whole story of Christianity was was really the result of the Federation the Federation and I talk about this in my book the Federation basically created Christianity to get the human race going in the right direction. So I think Carter probably understood what was happening in terms of the reptilian, um, the, the reptilian attempt 
to, to basically erase Christianity. All right, we're going to have to leave it there, Len. Uh, a, a real pleasurable hour. A little gloomy, but uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you so much for this. Okay, Richard. Nice talking with you. You too. Len Caston. Alien World Order with Len Caston. Still plenty of show to come. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, and James Conner, the co-founder and co-manager of Millions Against Monsanto, a big march happening May 20th in Toronto and around the world against the uh, the chemical giant Monsanto. In the meantime, please check out uh, the the website, strangeplanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, and as always, follow the truth. <laughs>